So entering the field, Dhamma practice, it's uh, going for refuge, going to Buddha, going to Dhamma, going to Sangha for refuge. It's not just taking refuge, but going there. Mm. So this is the recollection of we have to make a shift or a journey. going to Buddha for refuge. Shift has to be made. Refuge itself is such a um, potent phrase, from potent word. Not going for advice, not going for a boost, or going for refuge. You know, it's, it's very, it's quite stark in a way. What it, uh, what it's saying, in that. Mm. So, to go for refuge, we really mm. recollect that there is peril. The greed, hatred, delusion, the storm of it around us in the world, eating into us, catching us, confusing us, masking itself, plausibly masking itself in various rights and privileges and intolerances and so forth. And distractions, these poisons, greed, hatred, delusion, the three poisons that eat into, eat into the chitta, going for refuge. And it's both stark, you know, and Buddha has always doesn't mince his words in terms of pointing out the perils we're under in this sangsara, but also that you can go to a place where you can get out of it. And it's uh, in your, within the field of your own experience. Chitta. Purification of chitta, clearing of the chitta, this is what Buddhas teach. Sujitta Pariyodhisattasanang, the complete purification of the chitta from these toxins that infect it. And the purification means that uh, certain corruptions in our hearts and minds cease and there's a release into anya into realization nibbana of course it's quite a, uh, a shift but then there's a lot of work good amount of work to do 
to realign one's uh, experience, one's ways of seeing things, uh, to reorient oneself. And this reorienting means both a disorientation from uh, other ways of seeing seeing life, seeing the world, other worldly values, um, uh, to actually get out of those tracks and then to reorient to something more uh, that we trust and you testify to and you find value and meaning and you keep testing it, testing it, testing it. Check it out. Is this right speech, right action, right livelihood, right mindfulness, right effort? Or is this just, you know, more of the stuff of um, uh, so citta when there are many qualities to citta that one can um, reflect upon when I say citta because this word we call it mind or heart or awareness and any of these terms can be used depending upon which way you're looking at it or experiencing it or which qualities you're bringing forth from that but it's the um, it's the subjective sense the sense where the experience this is happening to me occurs it's also the place or the experience of feeling where things are felt mentally felt you know, that sense of being touched by something positive, negative where impressions arise immediate, in, immediate recognitions arise these are called perceptions where you get a hit, you know, that's that that, that uh-huh that, uh-huh oh you know. uh, so that's what it that's what touch it and then from that issue forth various wishes, aspirations, desires, resistances, positive moods, negative moods, have a certain pushing tendency. They're called volitions or intentions. They're not deliberate, necessarily deliberately configured notions. They're more like uh, certain drives, good or bad, called chetana. These arise from chitta. So this is this is the stuff. This is this area. It's not cognitive. It's much more intuitive, emotive, and responsive. And uh, the uh, uh, the the riddle we're in is that we're being affected uh, primarily by the impressions that we have ourself, of our bodies, of others, of what's good, of what's useful, of what's progressive, or what's helpful, or what's wrong or right. And these have a feeling and affect us, and we get mobile, we get reactive, our minds start getting activated by that, as you're well aware. And so, as they get activated, uh, Jit has another... A word for mind, mano, which is you can either see as a different aspect of the same thing, or even something rather separate. 
manner is a sense organ of the mind, which is the ability to um, form a concept, it forms concepts. It, so you might say, if, uh, if you liken it to uh, Jitta would be coming up with certain wishes and moods and feelings and Mano would come up with a plan. It would it would freeze that dynamic into a concrete one thing. Yeah. yeah. If we're feeling a series of inclinations and uh, moods then then Mano would would you know crystallise that in a particular I'll do that that particular thing, it would make it concrete. It makes it into an object. Jitter is always subjective. Mano is always objective. So Mano generates these plans, ideas, notions, always abstract. It's good at it. Our world primarily for us is full of abstracts. Thursday, uh, next year, uh, New Guinea, you know, where's that? I don't know. Uh, justice, liberty, ideas, notions, ideals, they're abstract and they doesn't mean they don't exist or they don't feel, we don't, aren't moved by them, they don't, they can encapsulate meaning, but actually they are, they're abstractions, aren't they? But they're very, they're crystallized and of course they can mean different things to different people even though we use the same word, isn't that true? You know, you have all political debates, everybody's saying the same thing. Truth, prosperity, wealth, freedom, rights of the individual. Why are we all fighting about it then? <laughs> because when it breaks, it comes the meaning under it, you know, though the word sounds good, the mano sounds good, what's the jitter doing? And what the untrained jitta is doing essentially is saying is my view, my people, people agree with me, my interests, my opinions. It's got the mind quality. And this mind, very powerful um, experience of course, and yet nobody can locate what it is or where it is, but it's always Cathecting onto ideas, shapes, forms, bodies, life, you know, all of, and everything. And, and that's what it contains, the meanings it contains is orient around that, that belongs to, this is your mooring post. My people, my country, my body, my life. That's your mooring post. That's your orientation around this thing called me, mine. Isn't it? that true? And yet, what's that? It's a mood. And it's it's a mood and a term and an attitude and a volition that carries all kinds of problems. It's separative. Mine is different from yours. It's certainly a lot different from theirs. 
therefore separation, either confusion, misunderstandings, down to direct antagonism, jealousy, antipathy. A lot of pain in this experience, mind, even though it seems to offer us benefit. And it's uh, a particular construction, ahankara, the me, the I am creating, that which creates the I am sense. So the me feels, feeling happens to me, pleasure and pain happen to me, sickness and health happen to me, feeling good, feeling bad happens to me. When it happens to me, there's suffering. There's a sense of being oppressed, mistreated, excluded, dumped upon, left out, not the way I could be or should be or other people are. That's what it, that's what it comes up with that. Therefore there's grievance. And with a little recollection, one is encouraged to say, well, no, anything you're experiencing, you'd be dang sure that Everybody else experiences it as well. <laughs> you know, what's so, you know, right? Or at least plenty of other people experience it. When it's like that, it becomes, oh, all right, this is where we are. Uh huh. Change from the isolation, the oppression, the desperation, the injustice to the sense of, yeah, life is tough. Uh, There's a lot of things around that affect us. Compassion, companionship, uh, sharing. Just through shifting that one felt meaning from mind to we. Why is it so, you know, so when it pulls us, it's, it's the it's the it's the mask of greed, the mask of delusion, and the mask of hatred. It's difficult to sustain a me mind for very long without feeling irritable about somebody else, or jealous of somebody else, or she's better than I am. So, though this this word may seem just the word is actually uh, covering some powerful uh, chetanas and powerful volitional tendencies. These are called latent tendencies because they don't necessarily come up and tell you what's going on. They 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 lurk and they hide, and a lot of the time when they're not running, until something happens and suddenly one of the, they they rise up. I'm getting mine. Hey, that's mine. You know, that's you got more. I wanted that. You know, then we get this welling up of um, desire, identification. You know, I'm the odd one out. Me, mine, and me. I'm different. I feel funny because I'm the odd one out. Everybody's the odd one out, sooner or later. So, you know, how this, uh, these, these latencies well up and cause suffering. Mm. 
and as we begin to track, you know, look into, inquire into the dissonances that occur in our experience, we're going to sooner or later come down to this mind experience, to reveal the latent tendencies towards holding on and this does the chitta no good it's not in line with truth it doesn't do it good it it doesn't bring out the best in us it brings out the makes us small in a negative way contracted contracted doesn't bring out the best. We don't. We can be above this, bigger than this. But it's a very powerful effect. So we're trying to take refuge from that. We say, just come out of me, mind that orientation into orientation, a new orientation, say awakening, revealing, noticing, being aware of these experiences, uncomfortable. Not so good, yeah. Agreeable, disagreeable. Not quite finished. Could be finished. Yeah. A little bit more. These kinds of things. And the way aware of it, and see with that what kind of path, what kind of practices are necessary to sustain that sense of awareness, non-engagement, non fascination, non-gripping. It's a sangha, the ones who cultivate this. Just to bear in mind, um, though we're doing a meditation retreat, and I'm sure most of us have a certain amount of meditative techniques and practices that we like to do to sharpen and strengthen our attention or to soften and broaden the heart. This is all great stuff. But just looking at the actual humanity, the human lineage uh, uh, that this all comes from, these come from lineages of people who lived in the forest. Uh, uh, With very little shelter, with patchy food supplies. Uh, getting hungry, uh, getting sick a lot of the time. Mm. Not ideal situations, you might think. Mm. Monkeys not keeping noble silence. (laughs) Snakes not observing the first precept. (laughs) You know? any time of day or night and certainly the uh, forest forest lineage to this day perhaps not quite to this day it's now dying out but most of these people had malaria sooner or later, it was standard you've got malaria or some other thing malaria, at least you've got malaria you might have got scrub typhus as well for good measure (laughs) So, you know, what do you do with that? 
What do you do with physical pain, discomfort, and um, you know, no medicine? Teeth ache, rot, no medicine. What do you do with it? So, oh, this is where you this is you practice with it. You don't feel good. Malaria, you feel very very bad, you know, shivering and sweating and completely you know out of sorts. You just maintain awareness. This is happening to a body. This is happening to feeling. This is the perception. I am sick. I don't know if I'm going to live or die. This is the sense of volition. Help, help, get me out of here. What can I do? Just practice, practice. Practice. What is practice? Find your ground. Take refuge in awareness. Aware of that. This is not me. You know, this is millions of people who have this illness. Have it through a time. They don't have this illness, they have another illness. Many of us are privileged to feel free from disease a lot of the time. This really is a remarkable development for human beings in this last 100 or 200 years that was you know so you're only sick maybe 5-10% of the time that's pretty amazing really look in human history people were sick like 30-40% of the time uh, most children didn't didn't live very long you know, even women would die in childbirth. People lived 40, 50, you know, sick, malnourished and quite normal. But when I don't feel so good, <laughs> you know, mind was, I should feel better. What's wrong with me? Now, of course, there's a sense of wise prudence. Go to a doctor, look what you're doing. Um, and yet, also, awareness of that. As a ref, taking refuge from the mind, getting ill, getting irritable, getting depressed, getting worried, getting flustered, taking refuge from these. You can say then that a lot of our practice is just fundamentally about relationship. Chitta, its basis is just this quality of awareness. That's the most primary quality of it, just awareness. It doesn't do anything. Just It's the place where doing stops. Flustering and agitation and trying to make things better or comparing and contrasting, it stops just there, that place, that's awareness. Mm. 
it's also tremendously um, relational. We're aware of. So when there's awareness, there's aware of. You don't you don't have to find anything to be aware of. You already are aware of. And you can point that somewhere or another to your breath, to your body, to your moves and feelings, to the wealth of another person. But there's an awareness of. Right? So it's always relational. And... Um, in when, when that relationship is kept free from ill will, free from comparing and contrasting, free from the conceit, I am, he is, they are, she isn't, free from that, then citta is purified. A sense of awareness then, you can take refuge in it. So we set up uh, um, to help our practice, to widen it, get some grounding, rather than the just the grounding, because the I am sense will tend to accumulate the karma, our personal history clusters around it. The I am sense acts like an attractor for that which has been most significantly or intensely felt in our lives. Now, jitta doesn't move forward in terms of time. It only it moves in terms of it moves towards its most powerful feelings and most powerfully established intentions, attitudes. That's what, that's the journey it makes. That's what it moves around in. It doesn't move from Wednesday to Thursday. It moves from gladness to worry. It moves from concerns about this person to feeling hungry. It also it moves around the particular established patterns called vipaka or resultant effects. It moves around learned patterns, learned behaviours, learned programmes, learned memories, acquired uh, assumptions. It moves around these. They act as its orientation. So this is why wherever we go, it seems like me, because the same memories, interpretations, attitudes, emotional patterns cluster around that sense of me. You know, we have our karmic thumbprint, our karmic footprint. Where we go, sooner or later, there it is again. The mark is made. So in this process of purifying, it's really a matter of clearing these personal residues, or at least clearing the fascination with them, clearing the meanness out of them, the shortcut is to, you know, I mean, the long way to do it is to try to sort out every memory 
an attitude you have, it's going to take a long time. Since in a way that's part of the perceptual process, we should be able to remember and figure and have certain uh, you know, behaviours that we've learnt and acquired. The purification is to take the I am sense out of it. So it's no longer so poignantly evocative and traumatic, impassioned, uh, stirring, uh, wounding, dogmatic, seized upon, obsessed about. You know, let run riot. <laughs> you know, like the, the uh, way that it, it does. And as it does, it, it goes into the mano faculty and we start conceiving. Right? Yeah. So if you have a, a planning mind, you'll find your mind will keep coming with quite good conceivable plans for this afternoon, tomorrow, this evening, next year, da, da, da. and if you can't, you get agitated. And so you try to fill in space if you've got that particular trait. And these are not evil by any means. Uh, and in, say it's, in a way they could be advantages. It's great to have people who can think clearly. But when it takes, when it runs riot, you're not driving it, it's dragging you. And so, so your, your chitta is always drawn along these tracks into the future. Because one of the primary things it, it seeks is orientation. It te- seeks orientation to have some way of referring in life and it orients itself around me, mine and the most familiar patterns and habits. And if you're some, you know, probably, you know, good people like yourselves, will orient around some pretty good habits. <laughs> you know, not like thoughts of violence and crime or something like that, but figuring things out, worrying about people, uh, worrying about yourself, trying to do the best you can, never feeling you're doing good enough. Yeah, these are not evil, but they they get um, you know, just check the the you'll begin to witness these patterns over and over again. They don't, it doesn't take long to see that. And then, where who is doing that? Not just an intellectual inquiry, but feeling where does that urge well up from? Search for orientation, isn't it? Where am I? What am I supposed to do? Tell me what I'm supposed to do, where I'm supposed to go, where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't feel this, I should feel that. Give me a book and study where I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Just search for orientation. And say, yeah, the search for orientation is a valid enough urge. Well, let's orient around, you know, awakening. And if we need some something more direct, that seems too abstract, orient around uh, body, the experience of it, around 
behavior, other people uh, around behavior towards and recollections of values, virtues, the sacred, honesty, contentment, patience, resolution, checking with those, or in around those, harmlessness, kindness, or in around those, and your relationship with those, are they brought up, are they considered? Is something you just even get a small list and run through and how am I with that? Yeah. And recognizing rather than oh, I'm not very good at it, I can't do patience, I'm not very resolute, check in, pause, get the meaning of it, don't make a self out of it. But wouldn't it be nice if you if that experience was here? Do you think so? Does it seem good? As soon as it seems good, it is here. You just need to return to it time and time again. Because if it's meaningful, you already know it. If it's a quality of goodwill, for example, you know, I'm not really remember it. Recollect it, why is it meaningful? If it's meaningful, you already know what it is. Uh, What stops you from experiencing it now? Discomfort, fear, pain of some kind, sorrow. Is it possible to return to the quality of goodwill? keep resonating it this may just relating to this helps the problem to wane body sacred virtues and values are the people coming out of the me sense into the we sense and the earth or nature. These are helpful orientations because they we can learn for a start we just begin to widen our frame of reference from the immediate impact of feeling, physical feeling, energies low, restless mind and so forth into uh, recollections that you can you can direct your attention to. You can make a conscious direction to you go to rather than feel swamped by. So you go to them and you go to any of these that are available for you. So when we say we go to the earth or nature, there's something about just bringing your body out into the world of nature. This is where, of course, the forest dwellers will always have that, with all its roughness and its difficulties. There's something about learning from nature. You learn about 
speed. Things are rhythmic. There's no clock. You have to flow along. You have to stay alert to the changes. So you don't fall down a hole or stub your toe on a root or walk into a spider's web. You have to be alert to the here and now. So the earth and nature teaches us not to get embedded in our thoughts and not to expect our experience to move in accordance with, you know, human time, clock time, five minutes, uh, or time it takes to read a page. You read a page in a, in a book, they've got enlightened by the end of the page. Well, this is just, this is time of the human mind time. When you come into earth time, it's a much different process. And the earth always, nature always opens up and receives you. Your body can feel it. You have to come fully into your body to be in nature. And this is why it was a, primary uh, place for practitioners. You learn the truths of impermanence, change, physicality, materiality, and you learn to be intelligent in, in a natural way. Learn to be alert. You learn to not get absorbed in any particular sense but to be aware of all of them. Where do you want to, which one's relevant now? Time to think, see, perhaps not think too much. Just enough. Stay on your toes. Learn to wait. This is really helpful for our nervous system which by and large is operating at the speed of traffic or telecommunications media because that's what that's the nature that we get absorbed in. Jitta is environmental. You're always aware of what you're aware of gives you begins to saturate your mind. If you're not alert to it and guarded about it and careful of it. Body is a primary resource, perhaps the uh, every um, meditation teaching always begins with mindfulness of the body. The body is um, has an intelligence and it's the only other faculty apart from the mind that has feeling. Your eyes don't feel, seeing doesn't feel, hearing doesn't feel. So experience is feeling and feeling gives rise to responsiveness. The mind and body have this sympathy and what the body feels the mind feels and what the mind feels the body feels. What the jitta feels the body feels. What you directly feel in your heart, your body feels. When you feel alarm, your body feels it. When you feel love, your body feels it. When you feel depressed, your body feels it. When your body feels bright, your mind feels bright. When your body is relaxed, your mind is relaxed. Meditation practice is just to get into the embodiment experience and 
clean it and clear it and extend it so it becomes a place of steadiness and calm where the nervous system can cool down can ease and it's the place of course where the, the residues of the jitta the toxins also linger in the constrictions and discordant energies in our bodies so much practices can be done just in terms of purifying body through breathing essentially walking um, awareness of body relaxing the shoulders opening the feet and the hands Because by and large we rarely inhabit our entire body. Mostly our awareness is restricted to zones in the upper body. Mostly the face, head, chest. So it's very, that's a constriction. You get used to it. And sometimes barely in the body at all, but out into the sights and sounds and texts that we read and so on. So making a practice out of drawing your awareness down through the entire body and even beyond it. So out through the palms of the hands, the soles of the feet. These soft areas which are um, gateways. Energetic gateways. Imagine the palms of your hands or the soles of your feet are like flowers that open, gently open. And you experience a release of congested tension. If you practice like that, you keep sweeping through your body, emptying out through these gateways, through the sides of the head, through the eye sockets, palms of the hands, soles of the feet. It's... Uh, it's a regular practice, like, you know, subtle yoga, you call it, just to get some, you know, open the body up so it becomes available for this important work. And relating to that, this is a body, this is how we can use it, this is how we can misuse it, this is how we can just ignore it. And you find that if you use it carefully, properly, calmly, in a natural way, it's going to provide a primary, irreplaceable foundation for practice, for liberation. Stress of the mind can dissolve into the body, can be drained through the body. The agitation can be cleaned in the body. The fear guilt uh, can be removed in the body mm-hmm. and if you look in these primary suttas mindfulness of sutta four foundations of mindfulness or mindfulness of breathing or mindfulness of body you're going to find these kinds of instructions or this exhortation mm-hmm. so this is, this is something to orient towards, not as my body, but as a particular piece of territory that 
our chitta can experience that's a more helpful orientation than one's personal history personal profile which we can get very uh, agonized over the personal profiles they're not really ours they're, they're formed aren't they by circumstance by events so how good is that going to be? (laughs) my body and this uh, sense in this body is the possibility of a path that can assist the purification So relating to this is a very helpful orientation. Relating to other people. Much of our suffering is generated around the experience of other people. People who we loved, who have separated from us. That's painful. People who have passed away. People we are not with us who we feel concerned about. then there's people who have caused us harm, pain Uh, there's the fear of being judged by other people the experience of having been judged by other people Mm. of having been excluded by other people shut out, seen as inadequate you're not welcome, something wrong with you that experience, suffering being betrayed by other people suffering so a lot of suffering generated through our contact with others this is why it's such a blessing if we can find make contact with people reliable trustworthy uh, non-abusive non-critical non-judgmental But as a place of practice, you've got to keep bearing in mind that uh, that our personality is largely formed by contact with other people. Largely formed through association with others. That's what our personality has been moulded by. That's, you know, we wanted to be fit in. We wanted to be okay with others. We defended ourselves from others because this piece we didn't feel was okay. We were extremely anxious about this aspect of ourselves when other people might see it or did see it. So these these tendencies get embedded so that when you live when you're with other people those tendencies are liable to activate. With people who actually are not right now doing that to you but your mind can imagine they are or think they are once it does so the mental faculty of manner will surely be able to find some piece of evidence to prove it 
and ignore the pieces that don't prove it. This is the nature of it. Jitta is affected by its perceptions and feelings. It's running an internal story, which of course is the my story. And that's rolling. It's not really aware of visual things. It's aware of what visual things signify. It's not aware of what people say. It's it's aware of what it means to us. So it is a rendition of experience. That's what it, and it's rendered because it already has certain blueprints and sensitive places and places that are ready to interpret things in a certain way. And they flare up. And they flare up particularly around other people, more perhaps more than anything else. Because these are the most important it's the most important experience in our life, really, as other people. We, we, the thing we look for, long for, uh, who we are. You know? So these are very sensitive. And you've got to keep acknowledging that and relating to it, what's happening here. And if you're using your your embodiment sense, you can sense yourself shutting down, or feeling nervy, or agitated, you know, feeling threatened, or she doesn't look, she doesn't like me, or he he misses me out, he excludes me, or whatever. You know these kind of things running. Just wait a minute, what's happening? And the beauty of relating to your body is you can feel this kind of tensing up uh, of irritation or fear or worry, and then you begin to just go relax, lengthening your attention through your entire body, relaxing the body, coming to the groundedness. Because it can be the case that she doesn't like me. Maybe she doesn't. But at the end of the day, you know, how much of that is my issue? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe he does exclude me, but is that his problem or my problem? Yeah. You know, and to really start to recognise the, the the sense in which we feel we should always be approved of by other people is setting us up for suffering and eventually you know I mean you just want to know if you're getting it wrong you want somebody to tell you you're getting it wrong but you don't need the hostility and the accusations and the trials and the guilt you don't need that stuff just getting it wrong it's a navigation area let's see what you can do better but when you're actually you know somehow hooked up to other people's emotional patterns or what or, or your own emotional patterns it's very difficult right? when you actually you think of it logically can you expect everybody else to like you <laughs> all the time <laughs> like that's their total that's their fo- chief focus they've got their issues and stuff happening for them and sometimes they're a bit this that or the other you know 
snappy or irritable out there, is that your problem, their problem, or is it just this is suffering? And finding the ground where, okay, mm, sorry about mm. So clearly we, if we keep precepts, and we keep recollecting our virtues and values and dedications, and say, have I been patient? Have I been respectful? Have I, you know, refrained from generating ill will, hostility, or acting upon it? Well, I've done the best I can. That's that's it. <laughs> relating, relating to the personal, the interpersonal experience. Like this, isn't it? How we can touch each other without physically just touch each other by impressions. So when we uh, we practice, we say precept, dedication to to formal situation. We make a strong effort to keep the resolutions and determinations of the retreat and are open to being reminded hey this is a silent place or you know yes be quiet best we can but bodies make noise you can't walk around with making some making a noise they're like that they're clunky You know, you, doors bang. You know, you just if you're living, somebody's living above you. You bound it. Sometimes you're going to hear what they, you hear them moving around. Well, you know, living in the forest isn't very quiet either. So we say that's 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 unreasonable. Forest refuge. We're taking refuge in the forest. I always like to bear in mind wherever I'm living, that basically I'm living, my lifestyle is to live at the root of a tree. Anything above that is surplus, is extras. Thank you very much. Thank you for the warmth. Thank you for the shelter. Thank you for the, having a roof over me. Great, soft place to lie down. Plenty. Wonderful. But basically, when I undertook this training, I said root of a tree is okay. Oh dear. <laughs> This means I can't say it's got to be super quiet, super comfortable, exactly the way I want it. I say it's 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 enough, and focus on that. You know, shelter for the night, shelter for the night. You know, free from privations of wild animals, free from rain, cold, and the rest of it. Okay, so then. You draw your attention in to those places. You draw your, keep reorienting to that. To living in nature. To living in your body. To living in your values and virtues. To living in accepting the presence of others and not running or acknowledging one's histories that we tend to run out on each other, just checking it. 
and realizing we all are going to be impingements upon each other. We cannot help it. We make noise, we're visible. We look like something that you can interpret in a number of ways. We cannot help it. (laughs) So that, uh, we're all doing that. Everybody's doing this without even wishing to. So that sense of just softly, softly. If it's difficult, come in. Breathe out, find your feet, find your back, find your ground. Find the the fear, the nervousness, the tension, the regret, the guilt, the feeling of isolation. Breathe it out. This is where you practice. Practice the virtues, the patience, the kindness, the goodwill. Everybody gets sick sometimes. Everybody feels bad sometimes. This is not a hindrance to the Dharma practice. The hindrance to the Dharma practice is taking it personally. And then the hindrances start to cluster around that and trap trap the jitta. And this is definitely about liberating jitta in this world with its people and bodies situations. It's about liberating within that. This is what makes it a refuge that we can go to and also a refuge that we must go to because we're living in this. If we don't relate to it in this way we get stuck in it. If we relate to it fully, clearly, mindfully, then we can get free of it. This is why we take refuge. Anyone?